0: You're listening to the I Love You Keep Going podcast with George Haas. For more information, please visit our website at www.metagroup.org. That's www.mettagroup.org. So welcome, everybody. This is meditation. Well, this is I Love You Keep Going. It's my, my weekly talk. It's uh september 22nd 2022 at seven thirty six pm pacific daylight time and i was thinking about talking about view today um what i think about uh and i was going to frame it as uh, attachment view but it grows out of the, the experience of um the buddhist traditional ways of framing it um Right view is, uh, of course, to see uh, the the value or the truth of the Four Noble
1: Truths, Uh, that's what we would consider that so. um, It's a a,
0: a, uh, what I think is so interesting about American culture or culture in the West is that we tend to think of the. the uh, Four Noble Truths is an expression of nihilism, or, or this kind of passive nihilism, it's wow. often how it's uh, understood uh, because of the way that uh, our conditioning is. Um, uh, depending on how you uh, frame that, nihilism was a response to uh, uh, enlightenment, which was the uh, 16th, hundreds. Uh, and the understanding of the nature of God in the Christian context in society, and then uh, the the divine meaning, and then nihilism in the passive form was that there is, of course, no meaning. Nothing is meaningful. Uh, nothing is intrinsically meaningful. Nothing is intrinsically valuable. It's all something that we make up for ourselves. Uh, and then the active uh, form of that is where you really try to... Uh, deconstruct things so you'll you'll hear that uh, i think sometimes in buddhist circles the deconstructing uh, experience and uh, coming up to an essentially um, that there's nothing intrinsic nothing meaningful about it i i don't uh, think that that's actually what's intended by that i i really think that full engagement is what's I- intended by uh the understanding of the four noble truths uh, that it's the the clinging to and wanting uh what is happening to be different than it is and not understanding our influence in the way that we create experience conditioned experience which is the the, the piece about view um, nihilism of course has given way to modernism and postmodernism in our culture and postmodernism differs from from nihilism, uh, uh, in that nihilism is that there is no meaning there is no intrinsic uh, meaning there's no intrinsic value and uh post is really that uh, it's relative and we, we we can't discern what's meaningful and what isn't meaningful because everything is is understood in the context of our own conditioning which might be closer but it still does tend to uh Create a sense of relativism uh, about things, uh, and I, I would also uh, take uh, umbrage with that. Um, but when we begin to explore view, we really do get to see uh, the nature of our uh, conditioning, which is relevant to us. We do make up uh, the experiences that we're having in the way that human bodies make up the experience and we know things the way that the human body can know things Um, and some of those things are meaningful uh, even if they're only meaningful to us that that's still a value it's not valueless Um, i know that uh, sitting with shinzen uh, for a long time he was uh, constantly uh, interested in finding the theory of everything in meditation, the one form of meditation that everyone would do that would bring everyone to uh, the experience of liberation. And and that somehow that was more valuable than the the individual strategies that people were using that led them to liberation. uh, and so I, I tended to find that the 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 uh, individual strategies uh, that work uh, are are valuable. Um, one of the things that uh, comes uh, forward in this is the attachment conditioning, and that the way to repair attachment conditioning is not the same for all attachment conditions, and you wouldn't be looking for a particular way of changing those views because the thing that causes those views is so different Um, when you look at a secure person they think of themselves as capable and they think of the world as a place that will meet their needs that all they have to do is ask for that and the world will respond to that so they conduct themselves as if that were true and in that in the way that they conduct themselves often they find that that is true in the sense that we create the experience uh, that we have um, and in the creation of that experience we create uh, conduct uh, we create create the intention and action that we take
2: george you just said that secure people tend to think of themselves as capable and the them the world is a place that will meet their needs. right. can you can you unpack that a little bit and contrast it with the other attachment styles? Just just have more context about that. So
0: we don't see ourselves directly. We see ourselves as a reflection. So first really, we see ourselves as a reflection of mind, um, but also, we see ourselves as a reflection of other people that is to say other people experience us and reflect back to us what they're experiencing and so when we're infants and we're uh, completely dependent on somebody taking care of us we make an expression we don't even know what we need really we don't know any of that we just make the expression that something uh, needs to be different maybe I don't know it's hard to ask a newborn or a four-year-old, a four-day-old, what what it is that they're actually thinking that created the gesture that that they expressed. But then if you have a sensitive enough caregiver who's responsive, they connect. They use their capacity uh, to empathize. They use their capacity to understand the nature uh, of the request. They reflect back to the infant what that expression means in terms of their interpretation of it and that they take an action to solve the the dilemma of the infant and the infant begins to track this they begin to understand that if I express myself in this way the person who comes to take care of me is going to respond in a certain way and then they're going to do something for me and so we begin to learn this vocabulary of how to express ourselves but we're not making a universal expression we're making a, an expression that's aimed at the caregiver who comes, and their reflection back to us of what the, our expression means to them is what we begin to understand is uh, who we are and what we need, and how we can go about getting it. Is that all making sense? Uh, you express yourself spontaneously. Uh, if you have a sensitive enough caregiver, they they're... ...paying attention so they see the expression and then they interpret the expression based on their their conditioning. And then they respond back they mirror back the expression of that and then they take care of you. If you are secure you don't worry about that you make the expression and your expectation is that the response will be useful to you that's the nature of the view of security but uh, if that doesn't happen then you develop other views about this other expectations of uh, what the world will do and what it won't do for you this is all not knowing necessarily whether your expression is uh, within reason or not there isn't that aspect of it just that you're making the expression and the world is responding in a particular way and you're associating to the response of the world the uh, initial impulse to express it all of this is uh, without language right um so let's say that you uh, grow up to be a dismissing adult what you notice in in the childhood of a dismissing adult is that there isn't a sensitive caregiver there to receive the messages and there isn't a meaningful response that's a, that's associated with the particular message that you send there's not much of a response Uh, There's a sort of a practical care that comes where the sustenance needs are met, but the nurturance needs are not recognized. And so you don't look for the world to respond to those needs. You know, there's an economy to this. You look to the world to to respond to expressions that actually uh, create... uh, a response right you make a gesture that you have a sense will create some kind of response and the gestures that don't create any response you abandon is that
3: making sense
0: so what you notice in childhoods of uh, um, people who grow up to be dismissing is a misattunement of the caregiver in the early part of life that's consistent And so that the the child learns not an authentic expression of themselves, but an expression of themselves that will get a response from the caregiver so it's very focused on. uh, on the presentation of of. uh, A version that is acceptable and everything that isn't that is not uh, expressed openly. And so that when you get to be older. Uh, there is the world that's secret to you that isn't expressible and then there's the way that you need to express yourself in order to get a response from somebody else and this is the way you are right all of that part of you that was rejected in childhood all of that part of you that was suppressed is yours and not shareable and then you get good at presenting to other people what it is you think that that uh, they need you to express in order to get from them what you want? Is that making sense? Uh huh.
2: And what you just e- expressed is the is the is the worldview of the um, what what do you call it the second one?
0: So that's the view of a dismissing person.
2: Yeah, the view of the dismissing person. That sounds so painful. That sounds just so incredibly painful to consider.
0: Yes, terribly painful, but also unexpressible. One of the reasons it's so painful is that the the person who carries that feels that it's unexpressible, so they don't (laughs) express it.
2: How do you begin to break through the barrier where that person starts to feel that they can one they can understand themselves and two they can express themselves and that they can get their needs met it feels so overwhelming like how do you help a person get to that place
0: well one of the things about dismissing people is that they explore well and so they understand the the advantages of exploration and they understand Uh, finding value in things so you don't have to convince them of that Um, what you have to convince them of is that uh, even though their early experience was one of constant rejection of the things that were meaningful to them not everyone will do that now because they're good explorers you can present this as as a conundrum for them that there are people who actually will respond to those unexpressible things in a way that would actually be satisfying to you in the expression of them and that what you can do to find that out is, is make that expression and see what happens and usually there's enough curiosity in a dismissing person that they're willing to try it now you have to set it up for them in a way that they're careful about who they make that expression to so that they don't reinforce the the experience of rejection Um, mostly uh, the experience for dismissing people of rejection is the is a fearfulness of being abandoned and when you you said how painful you uh it must have been for them if you set up kids secure dismissing uh, preoccupied and disorganized or secure uh, anxious avoidant anxious ambivalent and disorganized the anxious avoidant the kids are the ones in the most pain because they never ask anyone to help them with it Uh, and so the the terrible sadness for them is what uh, they need to be able to hold in order to try that But because they are good explorers, if you ask them to see if they can hold the terrible sadness, most of the time, uh, pretty quickly, they have the experience that they can, and then it's not an impediment for them anymore. Because really, the thing that keeps that area protected is the fearfulness
1: around uh, having to be plunged into the terrible sadness. Is that helpful?
2: So they are pretty, they, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. So they are pretty close to secure in a sense, but they just have this one big hurdle of, of holding on to this sadness about the fear of being rejected and their needs not being met.
0: Well, it depends. Uh, you know, there's a, a spectrum of dismissing somebody who is, uh, a D one, let's say, uh, their their emotional system is completely shut off, and clo- they're closed off to it. And uh, also, they don't value relationships. And so, you have to repair the capacity to experience emotions, and then you have to get them to change their mind about valuing relationships, which means the, uh, they need to learn uh, to collaborate. So when you look at the three dimensions of secure functioning you have the attachment system their attachment system is suppressed and left off their exploration system which is left on and uh, the collaboration system they don't have a collaborative system so they have to learn to collaborate that's challenging for them and they don't have uh, an attachment system activated so they have to activate that so It actually can be quite a bit that they need to do, but it's easier to fix, and they already know how to explore so that they can uh, investigate and uh, find uh, direct experiences of things that support actually activating the attachment system, and actually, uh, 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 because they can explore, they can learn the collaborative system faster than somebody like a preoccupied person who doesn't know how to explore the problem with not knowing how to explore is you have to learn to explore before you can then learn the things that you need to know in order to change the underlying uh, view so whereas the secure kid has uh, good enough uh, responses to the gestures they make and a dismissing Uh, adult or an anxious avoidant kid has consistent uh failure in that area a preoccupied uh adult had a childhood an anxious ambivalent childhood where the the response of the caregiver was unpredictable but unpredictable enough that they didn't ever settle into the idea that they could make a gesture that would elicit a specific response Is That making sense so both the secure person and the dismissing person uh, understands consistency. uh, Different ends of that, but a preoccupied adult doesn't understand consistency and they don't understand. uh, learning how to communicate with somebody in a particular way that would ensure how that person is going to respond whereas the dismissing person is pretty confident that they're going to be rejected every single time because that was their early conditioning. A preoccupied adult uh, never settles into a sense of safety and security in a relationship because they never uh, know how to elicit from the other person uh, their uh, authentic needs to be met. And this comes from the experience of sometimes the caregiver responds appropriately, sometimes they respond inappropriately, and sometimes they don't respond. And so uh, remember that in that secure uh, dyadic experience, the child expresses something, the caregiver uh, connects to it, uh, empathetically understands it. ..mirrors back to the child so that they can see what that connection is and then responds in a way that's useful to the child, but that doesn't happen for a preoccupied adult. The responses are all over the place, so they never learn what to do. So they're always in a question about what do I do here to get the response that I want. And often they're obligated to respond in a way that the caregiver understands there's no attempt by the caregiver to understand the needs of the child, the child has to learn. The caregivers responses, so the child moves out of being uh, authentically responsive and attempting to respond in the way that they think in that moment, the caregiver will understand what they want and provide that for them. Is that making sense? So they lose track of themselves and become oriented toward the caregiver. The view is external
4: and other. Christian, can you contrast that um, that very external view of the preoccupied uh, child? I guess that is reading. I guess reading the caregiver and eliciting the response that way with the uh, dismissing or ambivalent child, avoiding child that is able to, I guess, transact and get the care from the caregiver? Is it because the caregiver is saying specifically, this is how I will take care of you if you do this. And then the child knows that and can do that consistently. Like, what's the difference between the two? Because They both get their needs. They both get something. They both get a response. Right. Uh, And and so why does the avoidant child not get that, like, hyper-attuned to the caregiver orientation?
0: Because of the consistency.
4: But what's actually, like, what, what is actually getting the care for the avoidant child?
0: The avoidant child learns what they have to do, what performance they have to give in order to get what they want. And each time they do that performance, they get what they want.
4: And that's because the caregiver is explicitly telling them what to do? Or Or they,
0: they learn it through observation and trial and error. But it's not inconsistent. Okay. Uh, they learn that if they authentically express some things to the caregiver that that's going to be rejected, and so they learn to keep those secret. They learn uh, what the caregiver values and what the caregiver wants from them, and then they produce that and then the caregiver responds in a consistent way. Okay. So what what they get oriented toward is what do I want. And what do I have to then do to get it, and then they do the thing that they have to do to get it, and then they get it. Uh, Part of the thing uh, that happens to dismissing people is that because it's an inauthentic expression, and uh, because the expression for them is not often tied to something real, uh, they learn that it's the expression itself that's enough. The transaction is complete when they make the expression. So one of the things that you'll notice in dismissing people is they promise to do everything for you. Everything that they think you need them to promise in order to get what they want from you, they'll promise. But in their mind, the expression of that is, is the when you give them the thing that they want, the transaction is complete. Uh, in secure people, you would expect them to deliver on the promises that they made. But a dismissing person doesn't have that association with making those promises. They think that the making of the promise is uh, when, when, the, when you deliver to them what they
1: want, that the transaction is complete. I'll love you forever. And then you give them what they want, and, and then that's it.
4: So it's that easy. You just have to say, I love you forever.
0: <laughs> uh, to somebody who would accept that, this, a secure person won't accept that. So uh, when we talk about empathy, we talk about that first level of empathy, which is the visceral response, the witnessing of somebody's physical or emotional pain. And the second level of empathy is where you you can look at somebody's uh, facial expressions and body language and understand that that's a representation of, uh, of that has some meaning to it and you maybe can assign meaning to it the third is that what we call in buddhism compassion and empathy where you actually feel in your body uh, a, a facsimile of the emotional experience the internal emotional experience of someone else and then the fourth piece uh, which secure people re- require is that you do what you say you're going to do but in the experiences that they had in childhood, that always happened, and in insecure households, that is that doesn't happen so much. So, dismissing person, uh, um, you know, the conundrum for a dismissing person is the parent says, oh, "I love you, you're the you're the most valuable uh, person in the world to me," and then then they're they're neglected. So how do you make sense of that contradiction you make sense of it by splitting off what people say uh, from what they what they do so in 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 the the world of a dismissing person what you say is what matters not what you do Uh, your caregiver said to you that you are the most valuable child in the world and the only way that you can sum that is by splitting off the fact that you're profoundly neglected
3: that making sense.
0: Um, And so you become self-oriented, you become internally oriented, because uh, the only way that you can stand the experience of so much rejection and so much sadness is to disconnect from emotional experience. So the main way of regulating emotion that dismissing people use is to suppress awareness of it. And you can suppress it at a lot of different levels. You could uh, main you could suppress the felt sense of emotion and retain the capacity to recognize emotional states in other which is uh, a very effective place for dismissing people to be in you can suppress the felt sense of emotion and also an understanding of uh, body language and facial expressions which is more limiting uh, if you're At that level, then you can only rely on what people tell you, so you have to get good at quizzing people to tell you in a way that's not obvious, so that you have that information that they use, and then you can even suppress the felt sense of pain in other people.
1: Well, maybe we should talk about preoccupied people. Um. Zoom user. <laughs> you have to unmute.
3: Got it. Uh, hi everybody. George, thank you. Uh would would you um uh piece out a little bit of uh disorganized? Uh, because as, as as you describe, I'm like, yep, that's a little bit of me. That's a little bit of me. Like, I feel like a buffet of all of these things. Um, uh, But I know that historically, I've, you know, frozen, I, I guess, in relationship and, and pushed it away uh, because it was, um too nerve-wracking because showing uh i believe that i wouldn't be able to show up for someone Um, so yeah i hope but i don't think i expressed it uh the way i would have liked to but
0: so uh, disorganization is uh, uh, where you have uh, responses that are uh, secure dismissive or preoccupied as a, a kind of complex system <coughs> <coughs> where the child has had to learn multiple strategies <coughs> in order to respond. Yeah. Um, so that comes from an environment that was very complex. And so there was no reliable, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) way of responding. How that manifests in terms of relationships is that it's very hard for somebody to predict how you're going to respond. And so they don't settle into a sense of safety with you. A sense of reliability with you because they can't predict how they're going to respond. What we all want to do in relationships is to learn the the way to communicate to the other person so that we can be effective in our communication to them. And if you can't predict how somebody is going to respond, you can't learn a vocabulary so that it puts you in an unreliable category. If you're in an unreliable category, then uh, pretty much you're self-excluding from secure people because they won't do unreliable. Um, And then you're uh, uh, going to have to be in relationship with people who don't mind whether you're reliable or not. And so the only people that really don't mind whether you're unreliable or not are dismissing people or other disorganized people. Dismissing people don't mind you being unreliable as long as when you show up, you have the juice that they want or the psychic uh, uh, supplies that they want. And um, disorganized when people. We are... talk about... mm? Go ahead.
3: Uh, when we talk about uh, unreliable, uh, so my, you know, I clearly have a history of like flaking right Could that be? uh but i don't I don't think that like my emotional responses or what have you in relationships uh is uh, unreliable so, so the is the flaking
0: yeah flakiness is another thing so flakiness right. is okay. is about the experience of not being able to reliably regulate your own emotional states. So you can't predict what state you're going to be in so that when you make a plan with somebody, if you're in in an emotional state where you can't follow through on the plan, uh, you don't. Uh, You make all sorts of explanations for that. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter uh, whether or not uh, you have a good reason for not being able to come or you're actually describing an emotional experience that you're having that prevents you from coming At the end of the day uh, reliable people want you to show up and so their expectation is that you have the capacity to emotionally regulate yourself well enough that you do show up uh, and that's what matters um and so the reason that um disorganized people have a hard time uh, emotionally regulating is because they they are auto regulators and they would throw on in them into themselves to regulate, which is a really inefficient way of doing it. Uh, so um, yeah. you know uh, if a secure person is dysregulated and they can't regulate themselves, yeah. they reach out to somebody who they have available to them will help them regulate so that they never really go too long without being in contact with somebody who's effective in regulating them. Disorganized people don't do that. So they are often in a situation where they're dysregulated and they don't have anyone that they can rely on to help them regulate. And so the process of re-regulating takes much longer. There are also a fearfulness around what will happen if they make the wrong response. And so they they get into these loops of where they have to come up with uh, the exact right response so that they protect themselves from the catastrophic results that could happen uh, from making the wrong response. But then they have the childhood experience where if they don't respond, uh, they can have catastrophic uh, responses from their caregivers, which is not something that uh, more organized uh, attachment strategies have. Is that making sense? So the dysregulation, the emotional dysregulation that they experience, is something that they they take on uh, for themselves to regulate. And and depending on the depth of the disorder, the, the dysregulation, it can take quite a while, hours or days even for them to re-regulate. And so they have a a. a, a, a a response time that's very unpredictable and way too long for somebody who's expecting a more secure response.
3: Makes sense. Which I relate. I don't <laughs> uh, too much. Yeah.
0: So then, yes, thank um, you. Part of this is the changing of the view that um, that. Uh, you're in danger now you were in danger in childhood and uh, had not so much control over it but you don't have that uh, that now if you're careful about who you pick to be in relationship to we didn't get to preoccupied and we're about out of time for talking so we can continue with this next time but um randy or debbie your hand is up
5: I didn't know how to unmute. I hate this. Um, I wanted to ask you a question about, um, like, I guess, I don't know how, if this is really related to view and attachment particularly, but um, like there there are times where, um, you know, I've had interactions with uh, someone in my life where, um, they they have a very, you know, colored view of the world based on their it's probably based on their attachment. um and in particular, like they have, um, it's my sibling and and I think he he and my mother are similar where they they will project a kind of like, um, you did not fulfill my expectations in a certain way you ought to and then there's like a a view that's very strongly cast and then and then it it elicits like a guilt from people around that person um and I wonder if that's related to a a specific attachment style or how that I don't know how to describe it but like if somebody has a view and that also affects your response and your view of yourself in relationship to them, if that makes sense? Like their right. anger elicits a guilt kind of thing.
0: Right. So you express yourself in a way, and then they reflect that back to you. So you're, you're, you see yourself uh, as they reflect it back to you and in childhood we have a tendency to take on the reflection as as it being true and what you're describing is the the adult condition where you're getting this reflection back but it doesn't seem to match well enough to who you think you are now but it still has that uh, programming to to cause a sense of uh, guilt arising in you so that they're eliciting from you a, a response that you're conditioned to uh respond at uh, at uh, so that they can get from you what they want is that making sense
5: yeah that does make sense and that's related to do you think that's related to attachment or that's
0: i well just... I, I i think that the inducing of guilt in somebody else is usually uh comes from a presentation of helplessness of some sort which would point toward a preoccupied uh, expression I can't do this for myself, and you can do it for me, so you should do it for me, which is what yes. creates the sense okay, of I'm guilt what
5: I'm angry at you if you don't do it for me
0: right, because I can't do it for myself, and you
1: you can and so if okay, you don't yeah. do it for me, then i then it won't be done for me Right ah. <laughs> it's but. So- the part that's <laughs>
0: aggravating is that it's probably not true,
5: right? It isn't true,
0: right?
3: And
5: and like and then then kind of like being in relationship with someone who is presenting that can be very frustrating um, in a way that you're just like you want to be in relationship with them, but the the guilt that they're trying to elicit it can be so. Um, it feels so aversive, like it feels like such a negative emotion that that it brings up. It's hard
0: to be in relationship to them because it's so inauthentic. So how do you have an authentic relationship with somebody who responds so consistently in an inauthentic manner? Um,
1: That's the main conundrum. Right. I think. Do you have suggestions? suggestion? What, um, <laughs> what I usually say is, um, um, what are you going to do? Um, I can't do that for you, but
0: what are you going to do? um or what have you done because a lot of times they've already made a decision about what they're going to do well that's an interesting thought what are you going to do about it so you just don't take it on but then ask them what they're going to do well if you want to brainstorm i'm happy to do that and then after a little brainstorming you can say well what'd you decide to do uh they don't, they want you to solve the problem but really it's not about solving the problem it's about the proximity that they can get from engaging you in a problem solving experience so that if you see it clearly and understand that it's not actually about solving the problem it's about connecting then you can move past you having any responsibility or needing to solve the problem to just
1: how they're going to solve it and that that might be more useful for them um but it you know secure
0: relationships function on an authentic expression and if they they're they're unable to express themselves authentically it's hard to have that so then you're orienting
1: them as a C or a D in the the framework of the Dunbar framework. That makes sense. Thank
0: you. You know, most of the time with preoccupied people, if they present a problem to you and you present a solution to them, they reject the solution because it's not about finding a solution. And so you end up in a helpless loop with them. They keep presenting the problem. You keep presenting solutions, and none of them work. Which Ultimately, what that ends up uh, is you feeling a sense of helplessness, which is one of the things that we don't like uh, in relationships. We don't like to feel that we're helpless to help somebody who's demanding that we help them. So that's one of the things that we become aversive to and withdraw of from uh, because of the unpleasantness of the experience
1: but i'm thinking maybe we should do some meta practice so uh um i'll let you choose who you want to practice for but go ahead and take your
0: meditation postures and we'll begin
1: How did that go? Good. Um, We have a treat
0: coming up. There's still some spaces left in that. If you're interested, uh, let us know. Um, We're doing a a level one for Central European time in November. Um, I think that's what's coming up mainly uh, for the rest of the year. Christian?
4: George, could I just ask you something briefly after the class?
1: Okay. Um, I
0: offer this teaching on a Donna basis. Dana is the poly word for generosity. There's a link on the website to make a donation. Uh, any amount is appreciated. Help support me and also the work Meta Group is doing. Of course, we do welcome you to come practice with us. Uh, um, I will be here next Thursday, but the Thursday after that I'll be on retreat and then back after that. Good to see you, see you soon.